0: Anything wrong in this situation? He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. Heart we used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. That. The credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers we know it. Ask me about my win. Going on, everybody. Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's, one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, obviously, anything that's on your mind, please shoot my way. We're going to do a, a brief color cast show tonight where we're going to do the announcement of my baseball picks and predictions, which we've done every year since 2012. The um, show we're going to do on Wednesday will be entirely devoted to the Major League Baseball predictions. And obviously, listen, News 12 has done a great job of focusing on St. Peter's and their run in the tournament this year and how far they've gone. And obviously, they deserve all the credit for every single thing that they have done. I'm more concerned, honestly, with the seeding process that exists with the NCAA. And I think it's very easy for them to allow... Um, schools that don't get a lot of national attention, schools that play in small conferences, schools that don't, for whatever reason, have the opportunity to play, any reason, have the opportunity to play to big schools. Uh, How do you determine that that team has a seed in regards to what they have? Because you you understand from an at-large perspective, uh, teams that didn't win the conferences, teams that didn't get automatic bids, you you understand that they're ranked, And only the best teams, the highest ranked teams will end up getting in the tournament. And that's what it means to be at-large. At-large is, you know, there's no automatic bids. You're just one of the top teams to be now in a 68-team tournament. However many non-automatic bids are eligible means the top whatever amount of teams will end up getting themselves in the tournament. But it doesn't factor in enough what happens when it comes to the... Teams in the small conferences, the ones that have the automatic bids, yes, they're in. They're in the same tournament as all the at-large teams, but how do you quantify exactly what to see them? St. Peter's, listen, barely got by Mammoth. You know, it was in the same conference as Iona. Um, A lot of really good competition, but certainly competition that wouldn't be considered amongst the top. When it comes to the NCAA, they didn't play the best teams. They didn't play Duke and uh, you know Kansas and you know teams of that echelon in a regular season, and because of that, aren't given the real respect that the other teams that played top competition and won big games against big schools did and ended up get. So my point and in regards to what I'm trying to get at is how do you quantify exactly what you seed a team like St. Peter's because it looks like St. Peter's was seeded wrong and if we're going to use this year as as an example hey maybe it could be a a, you know a a rare blip on the radar a rare mistake doesn't happen too often a once every 20 or 30 years a 15 team will beat a number two seed team in the NCAA tournament obviously that's not the case and if you look back past St. Peter's you only have to go back to last year 2021 when Oral Roberts defeated Ohio State five years before that Middle Tennessee as a number two seed similar I'm sorry as a 15 seed similar to Oral Roberts similar to St. Peter's beat Michigan State in the first round of the tournament Florida Gulf Coast ended up making it all the way to the Sweet 16, as did Oral Roberts, Florida Gulf Coast in 2013. It happened twice in 2012. Lehigh as a 15 seed, Norfolk State as a 15 seed, beat Duke and Missouri respectively. And, of course, 20, what was it, 2016, I think was that year? Oh, sorry, 2018 was when Virginia, as a number one seed, lost to the number 16 seed, uh, what was it, um U, UMBC, Maryland um you know and 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 it, looking back in that you're trying to figure out is this becoming more of an epidemic and why is this happening more often since 2012 you now have six number two seeds in 11 years beating the number 15 seed now listen It's still a blip in the radar. It's still a very small percentage, but it's a much higher percentage than it was prior to that. The first time it ever happened, and I remember this pretty clearly as a a young kid, uh, watching Richmond beat Syracuse in 1991, Santa Clara beat Arizona in 1993, Coppin State over South Carolina in 1997, Hampton over Iowa State in 2001. So that was four times. You know, from 1985 to 2001. And 1985 is when the NCAA expanded the tournament to 64 teams. So, you know, why in the last 11 years is it becoming more of a thing to see schools that aren't as highly touted, obviously aren't very well respected. I mean, listen, St. Peter's is ranked as one of the six worst teams, or at the very least there's six Worst ranked teams than them in this tournament. They were seeded number 15, which means the other 16 seeds were four plus the two that played in the play in. So only six teams had a worse seed than St. Peter's. Now you want to say they were the best of the 15 seeds? Okay, so they're the 59th best team, or according to the NCAA going into the tournament. And they finished when it's all said and done, they're the eighth best. So somewhere they passed 51 teams. And was it because of their strength of schedule? Was it because of how they were rated by the NCAA? I think the issue is a little bit deeper than that. The fact that I don't think the NCAA gives fair enough consideration to where the teams that win the the bids, the automatic bids, by winning their conference, where they should rank amongst the teams that are competing for at-large bids. Are they automatically on the outside looking in? do we factor in a certain momentum that is gained by winning certain amount of, of games in a in a, a conference tournament to win a conference tournament championship some people spoke about Notre Dame this year winning the play in game and that kind of boosted them to a, you know a sweet 16 appearance and it's happened before teams that get those extra games and get used to winning and kind of have that You know, feeling like they got nothing to lose, they go out there and they they leave it all on the court. And we understand why it happens. And I'm not to advocate that there should never be a, a 15 seed beating a two seed in the NCAA tournament, but why in the last 11 years has it happened so often? Why has it happened one, two, three, four, five, six times, plus a 16 seed beating a one seed? And I think some of it. Should lead to some sort of re-seeding policy to make sure that it, it gets corrected, just to make sure that these teams are given the due credit and respect that they deserve. St. Peter's, if they were ranked ten or nine, you know, certainly could have done what they did. So it's nothing that's going to knock these teams off. You know, they're not going to lose in the first round because they have a more formidable opponent. If you look at you know the teams that they ended up beating in the tournament this year, Kentucky and. Murray State. I mean, geez, you know they played some really good competition and beat them. And they deserve it. You know, before you diss Murray State, you know that's a school that produced John Moran. arguably, and in my opinion, maybe the best player in the NBA over the next ten, fifteen years. We'll see. I mean, we still need the next 10, 15 years to go by. Is he Durant? Is he LeBron? You know, is he Michael Jordan? Uh, listen, I'm, I'm I'm bold with this prediction, but I think John Morant's going to be a lot better than you view him right now. And he came out of none other than Murray State, who St. Peter, Peter's beat in the second round. But that's point number one. So, the other one, and I, and I got a little bit of a chance to touch on this when it came to the news last week or the week before. The Colts uh, making that trade that they did to get Matt Ryan. But prior to that, the Cleveland Browns making the shocking trade to trade for Deshaun Watson. Now, it wasn't shocking that Deshaun Watson was traded. And I'm talking about Deshaun Watson here as it pertains to football. I'm not going to mention anything about the, the civil suits, which, by the way, if if he ends up not settling and there is no money awarded to any of the plaintiffs, I'm going to start to believe that Deshaun Watson is not guilty of any wrongdoing. He's already guilty of not guilty of wrongdoing by the court of law. I don't care about the court of public opinion. But you know, I don't want to change this topic, drop it into anything that it really isn't. But once again, you want to do that, come at me, please. That's what I'm here for. But Baker Mayfield still holding the job or the throne as a starting quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, obviously, not anymore when Deshaun Watson arrives. If Deshaun Watson doesn't face any suspension for the NFL, he'll be under center for the Browns in week number one of the 2022 season. So, Baker Mayfield, how much at fault is he for the situation that he's in? Baker Mayfield's played for, I don't know, slightly above mediocre years. Last year, passer rating of, what what were we talking about? 83.1, which is certainly below average. 13 interceptions to go with 17 touchdowns, 3,000 passing yards. But for for those that are Baker apologists, you'd say that hey, he played the entire season in in, in severe pain. Um, you know the issue in his shoulder and the fact that it needed surgery. It was his non throwing shoulder, but it did impact him. I'm not going to deny, and even the people that are most down on Baker Mayfield wouldn't deny the fact. That it really did impact them over the course of the regular season. But the question that I want to throw out there is how much, what percentage of Baker Mayfield on the field would be better than, let's say, Colt McCoy or any replacement or slightly above replacement level backup. In the National Football League, and I'm sorry, I I got it. I got it confused. I think Case Keenum was his backup last year, so I stand corrected. I don't have to go back and uh, declare my mistake. Case Keenum was was Mayfield's backup last year, but you know, from you know how how much? 85 percent of Baker Mayfield is it better than 100 percent of Case Keenum? Um, 50 percent of Baker Mayfield is that better than 100 percent of Case Keenum? 25 percent of Baker Mayfield is that better than? 100% One hundred percent of case Keenum. And the reason I asked this is certainly from the Browns' perspective. They didn't win as many games as they wanted to last year. Obviously their division got better with the emergence of Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, but you know, I'm I'm interested in thinking because James Harden was in a similar situation with the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs last year against the Milwaukee Bucks. James Harden was hurt. Now, how much, what level of James Harden was he at? What percentage? of James Harden did you see on the court? Because obviously it wasn't acceptable enough to lead the Nets to victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. Would James Harden have been better off sitting out if he was as injured as he was? He obviously was injured. There's no question about it. But we like to give players credit because they play hurt. But there's a certain level where a player's ability to play at their best is compromised by the injury or ailment that they're up against. And because of that, I question whether James Harden should have been on the court during that series against the Milwaukee Bucks last year. Because James Harden, at that point, I'm thinking is about 30%, 33%, maybe 40%. But the other players on that Brooklyn Nets squad that were at 100% probably gave the team a better chance to win than James Harden. So how does this apply to Baker Mayfield? Like I just said, at what percentage was Baker Mayfield playing while he was playing hurt? And was Baker Mayfield at 45%? Did that give the team a better chance to win in Case Keenum at 100%? And I'm going to finish off this part of the discussion by comparing some of the greatest players to ever play in the sport. And I'm going to call four players out. I'm not saying that individually they were all the best to ever play their sport. But I thought baseball, football, basketball, hockey, I couldn't name one more impactful player that played outside of these other four players. Like I said, you could turn the discussion and say, hey, greatest of all time. This isn't the greatest of all time discussion, but single-handedly impacting the performance of what's happening on the field and all these players played in my lifetime. Football, I say Lawrence Taylor. Basketball, I say Michael Jordan. Baseball, I say Barry Bonds. And hockey, I say Wayne Gretzky. All players that I've seen during my lifetime And if you talked about them at their absolute best, there were you could you could say nobody did what they did any better. And you could probably say, in the same discussion, that few in the sport made greater impacts than what those four individual players made. How much could their team deal with 100% loss of one of those four players? To not have LT during the Giants' run would have compromised the Giants to a point where they probably wouldn't be a playoff team. Wayne Gretzky with the Edmonton Oilers in his, you know, while he was carrying the sport, that team isn't winning the Stanley Cups that they're winning without him. You know, you think of Barry Bonds; he didn't win as much, made it to the one World Series in 2002, handful of other playoff appearances, but certainly, uh, you know, the the Giants' run. And success and careers of let's say Jeff Kent, J.T. Snow, and alike, making the other players better around him probably wouldn't have happened. And of course, you talk about Michael Jordan and his impact on the other players. You saw in the two years that Michael Jordan didn't play, or the year and a half, '94 and '95, three championships before. One season playing baseball. The next season, he doesn't join till half the season. The Bulls don't win. The next three years with Jordan, they win the championship. So that's pretty much back in the point that I'm trying to make here. Let's say Michael Jordan was hurt. Michael Jordan at 90%. The Bulls could probably win six championships. Michael Jordan at 80%. Maybe the Bulls win five championships. Michael Jordan at 70%. I don't know. Do they still win five? Maybe they win four. You know, but at what point does Michael Jordan not performing at his best, at his number one, at 100% full health, compromised the opportunity, shot, chance of the Chicago Bulls to win the championships that they want. At one point, is Wayne Gretzky at his absolute best, down to 20%? If he's 20% scoring 20% of his points, producing 20% of his results... Were the Edmonton Oilers at that time better off playing somebody else and having him be injured? And that's my concluding point when it comes to Baker Mayfield. Did he hurt himself in regards to his opportunity to be judged as a top NFL quarterback? Did he cost himself? And if he did, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not so much to blame. The guy just wants to be on the field. And at some point, maybe the Browns could say, you know what, maybe we could have gone with Case Keenum. Not because Case Keenum was a better quarterback, but maybe because Case Keenum at 100% was better than Baker Mayfield at whatever percentage he was at. As he sits right now, is he going to Seattle? Is there a mystery team that could use an NFL quarterback? Listen, you could always name a handful of teams that could. A team that could use Baker Mayfield in in, in a way to maybe push um, its competitor. You know, I think, I think of the Titans and Ronnie Tannehill. Uh, obviously, Seattle. They made the trade. They got Drew Locke when they traded Russell Wilson. Maybe Mayfield could push him a little bit. Maybe there's some other teams. You think of the Steelers who are going probably with Mitch Trubisky. And they obviously got the, the couple guys that are there, Dwayne Haskins and and the like. Maybe maybe there could be a little bit of a quarterback competition. But Baker Mayfield certainly coming into the season isn't a lock to be starting for anybody, and I think you're getting to a point where you're thinking maybe the maybe the Browns will hold on to Mayfield to start training camp. Probably be an uncomfortable situation, but I wonder how much playing hurt can in some cases hurt an individual player. So the last thing I wanted to jump in today and today. And as always, this is the Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm happy to see Albert Pujols going back to St. Louis. And I think that's a great move for the Cardinals, a player that meant that much to that organization. And when it came down to it, um, maybe it was the best move that the Cardinals as an organization made when they decided not to retain Pujols after the 2011 season. His contract with the Los Angeles Angels, though, he ended up producing a lot of numbers in ten years with the Angels. You know, hit 256. Certainly, a far cry from his 328. 222 home runs to the 445 he hit with the Cardinals. 783 runs batted in to the 1329 he had with the Cardinals. Over 2,000 hits with the Cardinals. Obviously, 1,100 or so, 1,180 hits with the Angels. But I think he proved that he had a little something left playing in a National League without a DH last year for the second half of the season with the Dodgers. He produced a little bit, hit 12 home runs. He's going to finish the season, finish the season with 17 with a 236 average, which is, I don't know, pretty standard for a player that's 41 years old. I'm glad that he's back for another season. Because there was talk that this was going to be the last year of his contract. And the Angels made the decision to release him, which I think changed Pujols' plans that he had in regards to the working agreement that he had set for the Angels after playing. Well, if I'm not going to retire as an Angel, then maybe the agreement that I was going to retire after 10 seasons, maybe I shouldn't fulfill that if they weren't going to fulfill their obligation to keep me on a roster for the rest of the season. They could talk about reasons why the Angels released them they want to play younger players I'm cool with that um, the expect expectation of pool hall signing a 10-year deal at age 32 that it was going to work out completely till the end was a little far-fetched and he goes like I said he goes to the Dodgers hits 12 home runs this this year, he's going to join the St. Louis Cardinals. Obviously, an organization that respects him, loves him. The fans, certainly down in Florida, if they get a chance to see him for the next week or so, are going to be ecstatic. There's there's no spring training fan base, by the way, that travels as well and supports their team in Florida, at least in the state of Florida, than the St. Louis Cardinals. So their fans are excited. They have every right to be. But my, my question is, Similarly to the questions I asked about the seeding policy in the NCAA when it comes to college basketball, my question about Baker Mayfield playing hurt last year and how much that cost him and put him in the predicament he's in where he may there's probably about a 50-50 chance that he has a job as a starting quarterback in the NFL at the start of the 2022 season, which is a surprise because after the season ended last year, it was likely that he was going to be the starter with the Browns. The only way he's the starter with the Browns this year is if the NFL announces a suspension to Sean Watson very quickly. And, you know, let's say it's a lengthy one. Let's say it's a year. Let's say it's a half a year. Like I said, unless he starts uh, being uh, found guilty or liable in these civil suits, and it's one after another after another after another, uh, I don't think he should be subject to any suspension for the NFL because all he's been proven... Is to be not guilty to this point. You want to talk about lawsuits that are set up by the numbers. The fact that 22 women have all gotten together under one lawyer does that mean that there were 22 specific cases of improper acts by Deshaun Watson? And once again, we could define what a an improper act is. And you think about this too, as this goes to trial. You know, is it a situation? Where one salon or massage parlor makes the decision, hey, we're going to, you know, turn our place into a little bit of a rub and tongue, and if they did that for one other person, then all of a sudden Deshaun Watson doesn't look as evil as these women are making him out to be. If if a woman there has performed some sort of of, of act, some sort of happy ending situation when it comes to uh, standard massage then how at fault is Deshaun Watson for asking for one if that parlor has done that before? And I've gotten way off topic. We're talking right here about Albert Pujols. What numbers would you expect him to finish his career with? And is is his career necessarily over after this season? He sits there at 3,301 hits. Most importantly, six hundred seventy-nine home runs, twenty-one hundred fifty runs batted in. I think he'd like to somehow hit over three hundred for his career, but it's it's gonna be very hard to do. You know, maybe he could keep his OPS, you know, in the nine hundreds, which you know is is amongst you know greatest of all time, top twenty, top thirty ever. But I wonder. Let's let's say he gets a chance to DH for the Cardinals. The majority of the time he's out there. Can he finish with 700 home runs? Can he pass Babe Ruth's 713 home runs? I thought Alex Rodriguez was going to be able to do that, and then he had a bizarre situation with the Yankees' decision to try to to bench him and not play him, and I think that that impacted you know where A Rod ranks. The fact that he had six hundred ninety six home runs and wasn't even really given an opportunity to hit the last four to get the 700 weeks a little bit of the barry bonds collusion that i have openly stated exists on this show barry bonds when he retired after the 2000 what was the 2006 season i'm sorry 2007 season you know he should have been picked up by somebody he didn't he didn't leave on bad terms He wasn't in a position where he couldn't hit anymore. He could have helped the team for that team that wanted to win, team that wanted some performance, team that wanted a middle-of-the-order type of bat. He was still at that level. Now, I'm not saying Alex Rodriguez was at that level, but Alex Rodriguez could have been afforded the opportunity to hit 700 home runs. I believe that was something Major League Baseball got involved in, and Bud Selig and Jane Forbes Clark and the like had something to do with that. Hey, how can we hold Alex Rodriguez down? Well, we're going to talk to the Yankees. The Yankees are probably a little disappointed that baseball suspended A-Rod for an entire season. Now, Pujols is in a different type of situation. He's, he should be afforded the opportunity to finish his numbers where his baseball capabilities will allow himself to. Who knows where Barry Bonds could have finished? Uh, he, he left at the top of his game. Alex Rodriguez was probably a little faded in regards to where he was at, but certainly I, I think he had four more home runs in him. You ask yourself, does Albert Pujols have 21 more home runs in him? Does he have, what, 50-something runs batted in left in him? And it'd be interesting to see in regards to hits, you know, you know 12th all-time in re, in regards to hits, Where does that rank? How far is he away from the next person when it comes to hits? Well, you know, he's 14 hits away from passing Eddie Collins. He's 18 hits away from passing, from tying Paul Molitor. If he could get 118 hits, he'll tie Carl Yastrzemski. 119, he'll tie Hannes Wagner. 100, what, 130-something will pass Cap Anson. And if he has... uh, if he has, what, 165 hits, he could pass Derek Jeter. So there's interesting milestones that he could end up accomplishing over the course of his career. But I think the one thing that's the most fascinating, one thing that I think Cardinal fans should adore the most about rooting for their team, is they got a winning team year in and year out. The expectation is that the Cardinals will finish in contention. At the very least, will probably have a winning record. They've only... They, they haven't had back-to-back losing seasons since 1958 and 1959, which is ridiculous. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Past Ball Show. We're brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. wishes Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by two ways, one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you want, you could jump on ColorCast around 8 o'clock today where I'm going to be on t- doing my baseball previews. I'll be working on them as we speak. Um... Wednesday, we'll do the full baseball preview show. Probably not live, because nobody's freaking listening live. We'll probably do a taped recording of the PBS. So if you're interested in my interesting, to say the least, picks that I make as we get into the 2022 baseball season, I don't think I jumped off the bridge very far in in regards to two crazy picks. But I, I think they're objective, and I think there's differences in what we're, what what the the main people that make baseball predictions make and what I make. So I think that's interesting enough. I, I hope you uh, look forward to them and would like to see my picks. Like I said, we will be back with you Wednesday morning, somewhere around the 8 o'clock hour Eastern. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority to the team that wins the freaking Wild Series? I was going to listen to that but then I just kind of not it in my mind. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing the dude disguised as another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. Uh. what side of the spectrum they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at them. tail between their legs, and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.